Well, good evening. It's good to see those who are here in person. Glad to have those of you joining with us online. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulties this morning for those online and on our phone live streaming, but uh, hopefully you saw the broadcast there at 1 o'clock that you can go back and watch. Uh, and see that rebroadcast from this morning. I uh, just want to remind you we are on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter. Uh, do all the thumbs up, the likes, the subscribes. Uh, click the notification bell thing on YouTube. That'll let you know when we go live there also. And then we have our phone live streaming. Uh, you can call the church office at 931-455-0645 and we'll be glad to give you that number uh, so that you can do that. If anybody here in person needs that number, let me know uh, and we'll get that for you. Also there, uh, as you're on our uh, on our social media platforms, you can skip over also to our website, the HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Uh, it's on HighlandBaptistChurch.com under the info tab. It's about four tabs over that you can download today's worship bulletin. Encourage you to do that. A lot of upcoming things. We've got Mother's Day coming up next Sunday and uh, a lot of other events coming up. It's hard to believe Mother's Day is here already. Uh, but we also have there the links for the children's worship bulletins, ages 3 and up, 7 and up. If you need those, they're in the windowsill over here in person. And then also, uh, you, while you're there on the website, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. Very easy platform that you can set up your online giving on. You can do it recurring. You can do it one time. You can do that in person if you want. Uh, even so encourage you to take the time to do that we have a lot of people who do that uh, and, it, and a lot that comes through that so thank you so much for using uh, that resource if you're in person we do have some envelopes I can see some back there in the little uh, holder on the wall if you don't have some in the pew in front of you be sure to grab one of those or a couple of those to take with you hopefully next Sunday we'll have those filled back up in your pews uh, there and then also don't forget we've got vacation Bible school coming up uh, if you want to volunteer for Bible school, uh, let us know that. I'm not sure. There may be a sign-up sheet on the board back here uh, for that. But I uh, just want to remind you that you can go ahead and start pre-registering your families uh, for Vacation Bible School. We went ahead and did a lot of those on Wednesday night with Awana, so hopefully we got a lot done with that. But we have a lot more that we want to reach. So here's some posters. There are on the table out here, on the table back here in the hallway. Be sure to grab those and share about Vacation Bible School. This is the registration card that you can fill out, or you can go online, as we said, to our website or the uh, Facebook page that that will be on. So encourage you to do that. I think that's all the things I had to say, and that's a, that's a mouthful. So Brother Mike, come and lead us. Good evening. Well, that song Miss Pat was playing while we were getting started here this morning, the last line of that uh, chorus says, There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And that leads right into the song we're going to sing tonight. 182, get your hymnals. 182, what a friend we have in Jesus. We can depend on it. Miss Pat. Thank you. 
Thank you, Miss Pat. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, and we're actually only going to look uh, at verse 1 through verse 6. There's a later message that I'm going to preach some of the things that are covered uh, in verses 7 down through verse 19 and, and following, and uh, so I did put that there for that, but just want to get you focused on the right passages tonight. I've entitled the message tonight, Overcoming Doubt. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but all of us at some times face some kind of doubts. And we're going to see that even when it comes to God's word and God himself about our doubts about the Bible and our doubts sometimes with God. So Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through verse 3. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in prayer tonight and looking at this passage on our doubts and how to overcome doubts as John does here. Father, I pray that you will speak your truth into our hearts and our lives. Help us to see the application for our hearts, Lord, that if there are any kinds of doubts that we're struggling with, to know that you don't want us to stay there. All of us have questions at times, which are a little different from doubts. But Father, I pray that you will help us to find that when we come into those places where we are doubting, Lord, that you will uh, lead us and you will guide us back to a right understanding of who you are of what you've told us in your word, and Lord, that we will be obediently follow you and surrender to your will and to your way. So teach us these truths tonight, and may your word be broken, may it be alive for us, may it be powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Let me ask you this, have you ever doubted what the Bible says about God? There are sometimes those individuals who have doubted what the Bible says about God. What about the gospel? I mean, when you're alone, think about this. Do you ever sit and wonder whether the things that we believe as Christians are real? You know, sometimes when we're going through very challenging times in our life, faith may be harder to come by than ever before. Uh, sometimes we feel that way. And if you've ever wrestled with doubts about God, you've ever wrestled with doubts about his word, uh, I want you to take heart that you're not alone. There have been many through the ages who have had uh, doubts with God's word. Uh, Alistair McGrath said this. He said, doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Uh, McGrath went on to contrast 
uh, this doubt with unbelief. And he said this, unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It's a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. He said, but doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It's, it's a wishful longing to be sure of the things which we trust. John MacArthur observed and wrote this. He said, when the New Testament talks about doubt, whether you're talking about the Gospels or the Epistles, it primarily focuses on believers. And that's very important. It's as if you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to be committed to it before you begin to question it. So doubt is held up as a unique problem of the believer. Even the great preachers of old, men like Charles Spurgeon, uh, said this. He said, some of us who have preached the word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and of establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible have nevertheless been the subjects of the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we preached. And so the reality is that even for those who seem to be the most faithful, faith is sometimes hard to come by, particularly when the burdens that you're experiencing in this life uh, seem very heavy. Uh, in the words of R.C. Ryle, R.C. Ryle said, Doubting doesn't prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet who ever lived, struggled with doubt. This is the prophet that Jesus called the greatest man ever born up to that point in time, uh, who, who wavered over the identity of the Messiah. Now, if you remember when, when John was getting ready to baptize Jesus, what did he do when he saw Jesus? He said, behold, there comes the Lamb of God. So there was a point in time John knew this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah who's come. Uh, and, and so when we see him, this prophet John the Baptist, uh, who, who struggles with the identity of Jesus here, because notice what he said back in verse 3. He's questioning and saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And so one of the things I want you to see about John, he needed to see afresh that Jesus is worthy of our faith and of our worship. And that's at the heart of the message of Matthew chapter 11, that Jesus wants us to rest in him even when faith is hard and even when the burdens of this life are heavy. And that seems to be the times when we question the most, is when those burdens are heavy. Now, Matthew has already mentioned the fact that John has been arrested. So he's imprisoned at this point when he's questioning here. Uh, and in just a few chapters, you can read and you can tell, you'll see why. But by the time John began asking questions in Matthew chapter 11, he had likely been in prison for a while. And that maybe begins to explain why he's having some doubts. Because John doubts Jesus, so he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And Matthew tells us in verse 2 that John was hearing about all the things that Jesus was doing. He was hearing about all those miracles and another indication that John was in touch with his disciples during his imprisonment. Now, he believed that Jesus, he had believed Jesus was the Messiah, but at this point in the passage in the scripture, he's starting to wonder. 
And that leads us to ask exactly what is causing John uh, to doubt Jesus at this point. Because we often find ourselves doubting for reasons similar to John, uh, we need to consider the makeup of doubt. So what is it that leads to doubt? Uh, There's at least three things that I want to share with you tonight that we learn about doubt from this passage. One is, is that doubt often arises during difficult situations. You're going through a crisis in your life. You found out you've got a terminal disease or, or you just lost someone who was very close to you, who was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And, and you start to wonder, are you the God that, you, that the Bible says that you are? Are you who you say you are? And so what leads to doubt? Uh, we, we've already seen John uh, before, who's a prophet in the wilderness, who had proclaimed God's word with boldness, preparing the way for the Messiah and and pointing people to him. But now he's under this pressure. And so as a result of his uh, bold and and faithful proclamation, John has been arrested. And he's experiencing shame and hunger and physical torment and emotional struggle as he sits there alone in prison. Uh, You know, he's kind of like... Uh, Elijah in in this case. Elijah was a prophet of God and Elijah got uh, tired of uh, in in all the things he was doing and and then especially uh, when he was running from Jezebel. And if you read in 1 Kings chapter 19, he was ready to give up. You know, those kind of difficult situations tend to produce doubt or at the very least questions in our heart and in our mind. Uh, Notice also another thing that leads to doubt. In addition to the difficult situations, there were unmet expectations, unmet expectations. So after all, after all, this is the Messiah of whom it is prophesied, as Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And so where is John? John's in prison. And so why hasn't Jesus come and got him out of prison yet? If he's the Messiah that we think he is, that's come to liberate us, and that's what the the normal Jews of that day thought of the Messiah, he was to come and and be that physical liberator for them, and, and he hasn't come and gotten him out of prison yet, it was becoming clear by this point that Jesus wasn't meeting many of the expectations that a lot of Jewish people had for the Messiah. And John the Baptist, he had prophesied about the judgment that the Christ would, uh, and the Messiah would bring about. Uh, but here were the Romans. They were still in rule, ruling in, in, in leadership there. And, and yet John was in jail because of it. And so it must have been confusing for him at the very least, to see Rome still in charge, to see sin still rampant, to see political and religious corruption still ruling the day. And everything seemed to be just as it had been for generations. It seems like for John, nothing's changed. I thought something was supposed to change when the Messiah came. And so instead of overthrowing Rome, uh, here was Jesus. He was spending time with with the irreligious people, the non-religious people, the sinners. He was teaching them about forgiveness. Uh, He was, uh, and and to the great surprise of some, he wasn't even fasting. And surely John was thinking, isn't the Messiah the one who's going to deliver us? Another thing that leads to doubt is that in the midst of struggles, we see with John 
John suffered from limited perception. And that's one of the, the problems for us so often is our limited perception. You see, here's John. He simply didn't understand everything that was happening uh, or not happening around him. And so he sent his disciples here to question Jesus. You know, in reality, many of our questions and doubts often spring from these same things. It's, it's often in the midst of, of challenging circumstances that faith is hardest to come by, especially when we're walking with the Lord, faithfully serving him, worshiping him, and then all of a sudden tragedy happens and hits. And maybe even multiple tragedies. You know, sometimes it feels like you just can't get a break. It's one thing after another thing after another thing. And we think, God, where are you? I thought you were supposed to be here with me. And we don't understand why certain things are happening, especially when our trials seem to be getting in the way of our desire to serve God. And we know he's good. We know he's a good God. But we just can't understand why the struggle won't end. And oftentimes trials come as a result of sin in our lives or sin in the lives of others around us. However, when our trials are not a direct result of our sin and our own disobedience, we have to remember that our perception is limited. You know, wasn't the Messiah supposed to bring blessing and judgment? When you read the Old Testament, it was both. When would this kingdom come? And so John's perspective was limited, and so is ours. You know, whenever we go through difficult situations with unmet expectations and questions that continue to rise up within us, we need to remember that our perspective is always limited. In the end, we have to come to the place to realize, I'm just going to have to trust that God knows what he's doing, even if I don't know and don't understand. Because when we start doubting, we're driven and we're tossed about like the waves on a sea. You ever been on, you ever been on a boat on the, on the ocean? A few of you? Yeah? You know what it's like, don't you? You have to get your sea legs a little bit there. Even if you're on a big, huge uh, cruise ship, you know, the, the water uh, is always moving and the ship is trying to balance in between that. And, and if you're on a smaller boat on the sea, it's really rocking and rolling sometimes. And, and you're tossed about with the waves. And James says this in James 1 and verse 6 through verse 8. He says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, to be double-minded uh, is to go back and forth in our thinking. God's faithful. No, God's not. God loves me. No, he doesn't. Uh, God, God cares for me. No, God hates me. And you'll hear that even sometimes if you'll talk with people, even believers sometimes, who struggle with those things uh, back and forth. And so we, we may even begin our, our walk with the Lord with a strong confidence in God. But as time goes by and difficult situations continue, we may start to doubt that he will do what he promised. And so doubting and questioning aren't necessarily the same thing because if you really look at questioning, questioning is, is seeking to gain some further information or, or to understand whether I'm accurately hearing from the Lord. Doubting, on the other hand, involves believing what we think 
what we see or what we feel rather than what we know God has said. You kind of think of, uh, of uh, uh, some of the disciples, uh, Doubting Thomas, for instance, uh, who, who doubted. And that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. He doubted that, that Jesus was real. He said, unless I touch, unless I feel, uh, he couldn't just trust what God had said. You know, it's natural for us to question or to doubt when we're suddenly overwhelmed by a distressing event. And so the Lord understands our struggle, and he wants us to come to him with our pain and, and with even our confusion. And we may have to take some time to pray and to listen and to evaluate uh, all of that that we know uh, about what he said and what he's saying to us. You know, sometimes God has to sift our thinking to remind us of his truth and his past faithfulness to us in a similar situation because sometimes all we can see is the storm in front of us and we can't see the God who's over the storm. So we see here uh, that first point and we'll see also why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? So what leads to doubt and then why do we doubt? You know, even if we've trusted the Lord for many years, certain things may cause our faith to waver. You know, sometimes something goes against our human reasoning. A good example of that is Peter. You remember Peter who experienced walking on the water. When he first started out of the boat, he started out confident. Why? Because his focus was on Jesus. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, things were smooth and, and fine. He was able to walk one step at a time toward Jesus. He was confident. But as soon as he looked away from Jesus and he started looking at the waves, he started thinking humanly, wait a second, people can't walk on water. What am I doing? I'm walking on water. And his faith begins to falter. You know, and so often we're just like Peter when we know what God has said, but we try to add our reasoning, our comprehension of things to his commands. For instance, if, if we give part of our income to the Lord, we, our thinking is, I'm not going to have enough. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put food on the table if I give to the Lord? You know, and, and that's just one instance. But Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 38, give and it shall be given to you. Uh, you know, anytime we rely on our own logic, you'll miss God's best for your life. You know, another thing uh, that we see that, uh, that causes doubt is that we allow feelings to overcome our faith. You know, if the Lord calls us to do something that seems impossible or maybe even to us seems to be unreasonable, you can be certain that if he's calling you to do something, he's going to equip you to do it. He's going to put people across your path. He's going to put resources in front of you. He's going to teach you his truth. But if we let feelings of fear and inadequacy and unworthiness cause us to doubt his promise, you could miss the opportunity through disobedience. So because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we can live a supernatural life in his power if we would just obey him. We're called to live by faith, not by fear. But sometimes we allow our fear and our feelings to overcome our faith. 
Another point that we see is we don't always see God in certain circumstances. You know, the Lord has promised to take care of us. But it all may not be in the way we always want. We may think that the Lord possibly, couldn't possibly be in the midst of this difficult situation that I'm going through, through this painful struggle that I'm facing. And yet there he is. You know, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, here's what he says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. And so even though we can't see God in the circumstances, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and the storms, and we think, how could God possibly be in this? The Bible tells us we know that God works all things for good. Not some of the things, but all the things, the good and the bad, to bring good into your life and to bring glory to his name. Sometimes we listen to negative counsel. You know, when we're trying to discern the will of God, we have to be careful uh, who we're asking for guidance. You know, some friends might offer uh, to help us seek the Lord's direction through prayer, but others may just simply tell us what we want to hear. Uh, they may be telling us those things that, that scratch our ear, that, that itch our ear, uh, or, or, or what we want the what we want to hear, or, or what they what they do in that situation. And sometimes we get negative counsel, even from well-meaning individuals. So we have to be careful as we're discerning the will of God. And sometimes we we focus on the circumstances, as we said, like Peter did. You know, little problems can become huge when those things begin to dominate uh, our thoughts. And that's why we have to consider and look at every situation in the light of our great God. There's no situation that you're facing in this life, no situation that you're going to face out in the future or have faced in the past that God cannot handle. Everything that you face, he is a great God, and that's why we need to look at everything through that lens that he is a great God. He can handle anything, and he can handle everything. And worrying and fretting shows that we're not trusting in the Lord. Another thing that we see is that we may be ignorant of God's ways. We may not understand and know God's ways. You think about when Lazarus fell ill. Uh, and, and Mary and Martha called for Jesus because they believed Jesus could heal their brother. They thought they knew how God should work in the situation. If we just get Jesus here, Jesus will take care of everything. He'll touch him. He'll heal him. Lazarus will be great. Lazarus will be fine. We've seen him do it to other people to heal them. Surely he'll do it to Lazarus. And so they thought, we know the way God's going to do this through Jesus. And, and so... Uh, what we find, though, is that Jesus had something greater in mind. You remember what he did? He delayed his coming. He, he waited. And so he delayed his coming so that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. He delayed his coming so he could do something even greater than it would have been had he, had he just healed some sickness that Lazarus had. And so spiritually speaking, sometimes we just need to get rid of the watches and the calendars. Because God's timing is not our timing. God doesn't work on our schedule. We think, God, you've got to work before this deadline, this moment, this hour, this minute. And God says, hmm, we'll see. 
God works on his timetable, not ours. And so sometimes we need to get rid of those watches and calendars because God's timing's not ours. He alone knows what to do. He alone knows when to do it. And his delays don't mean that he's forgotten us. Just because he hasn't answered your prayer just like that, we're so in a, especially here in America, in such a convenient society, we want that answer right now from the Lord. We want God to do it instantly right here now. And God delays. And, and we need to realize that his delays don't mean that he's forgotten us. Uh, another thing that we see here also is that we might feel guilt over past sins. You know, sometimes we doubt that God could possibly forgive us for something we did in the past. Even after we've confessed it. We still sometimes carry that heavy load of guilt. You know, we come to the Lord and we say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for my sin and I repent of it. Lord, I, I'm turning away from it. And then we just pick up the guilt and the shame and keep on walking around with it. When we were supposed to come and, and give it to him. You know, the problem is one of, <coughs> really, of unbelief. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is that true? That's a question that we have to answer. Do I believe what God's word says or am I doubting what God says here? And so when we doubt it, it becomes uh, the problem of unbelief. You know, as, a, as believers, there's nothing that we have to do to earn his forgiveness because Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross. And even though we may still have to deal with the consequences of our sin, our guilt has been removed. You've been forgiven at the cross and you need to receive that forgiveness and stop picking up the guilt from the past. The last thing I want to share with you in this part is that sometimes we could be listening to the devil. He's always trying to deceive us. He's always trying to put doubt into our minds. And, and what is the biggest doubt that he tries to create in your heart and in your mind? What would you think? You surely couldn't be saved. And you begin to doubt you know, if I did this and I did that, I wonder if I am really saved. The Bible plainly, clearly tells us how to be saved. And, and so the devil tries to create those doubts because if he can create doubt in your heart and your mind that you are a child of the living God, even though you have, you have believed in Jesus as your Lord, you have trusted and surrendered to him, you're seeking to follow him, none of us are perfect, but a lot of times because we're carrying that guilt around, the devil is sitting there on our shoulder and saying, hmm, you can't be a saved Christian, look at you, look at what you're doing. We begin to doubt in our minds. And when he begins to plant those seeds of doubt and you begin to believe it, it begins to render you ineffective as a Christian. Because you're so consumed with that, you're not focused on the task the Lord has before you. You're, you're constantly dealing with this doubt. So how do we deal with these doubts? You know, we've seen the anatomy of doubt. We need to see something even more important, the answer to doubt. So how do we deal with doubts? How do we deal with doubts? We've seen what leads to it. We've seen why we doubt. But how do we deal with doubts? Two things 
that I want to share with you in closing uh, with this. Is that in this text and in our lives, the answer to, to doubt seems to be at least twofold. First and foremost, the way we deal with doubt is to confront doubt with biblical revelation. Confront doubt with biblical revelation. In other words, when you see this passage and what happens here, when John doubts, he sends his disciples to question Jesus. And Jesus answers them in verse 4 and verse 5. Let's read those verses, if you will. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Here's what you heard and here's what you've seen. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. So John's disciples come, and Jesus gives them the answer. What he's answering here and saying is he's using some phrases that are taken from Isaiah chapter 35 in verse 5 and verse 6 and Isaiah 61 and verse 1 to describe the miraculous works that he's been doing. In other words, those passages were prophecies about the coming Messiah. And Jesus is saying, go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Here's what you've seen and heard. The very same thing Isaiah told you back in the day. He, I am the promised one. He tells John, for instance, that the blind were receiving their sight. You know, in the entirety of the Old Testament, no blind person ever received sight. Nor is there any story in the New Testament, uh, apart from Saul's conversion, where Jesus' followers restored a blind man's sight. Jesus was fulfilling what Isaiah had long ago prophesied. Isaiah 35, 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped when the Messiah comes. It was a messianic prophecy. This is what the Messiah is going to do. And Jesus is saying, this is what Isaiah said, and this is what you see. Put the two together. That's what he was saying to them. And so interestingly, the passages here Jesus is alluding to in Isaiah refers not only to healing, but also to the judgment that the Messiah would bring. Jesus' miraculous works were evidence of the coming kingdom. And so John needed to trust that Jesus would bring full and final judgment, a judgment that comes in verse 20 through verse 24, uh, which is beyond verse 19 of what we would have looked at tonight. But you could read those verses, and they're the woes to the unrepentant cities. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the judgment that's coming. And so what John was looking for was, Jesus, I don't see the judgment. I don't see you getting rid of these Roman oppressors. I don't see you liberating us and freeing us. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, go back and tell him what you've heard. What have you heard? You've heard what Isaiah said. And here's what you've seen. You've seen what, I, what Isaiah said I would do, and I've been doing that. And he says, here, even in verse 20 down through verse 24, the judgment is yet to come, and it will come. God will be true to his word. And to try to fight doubt without a foundation in the truth of his word is useless. God's word is a rock. Not because it makes everything easy, but because it keeps your feet out of the sinking sand, even in the difficult situations and the unmet expectations.
The first answer to doubt is biblical revelation. Always go back to what saith the word of God. What does the Bible say? What does God say? What does Jesus say? What does his word have to say to me? That's the first way to deal with doubt. The second way we battle doubt is with joyful submission. Joyful submission. So after Jesus recounts his greatest his great works to John's disciples here's what he closes with saying in verse 6 and blessed is the one who is not offended by me he closes by saying that so to not be offended because of Jesus is essentially to trust him even when it's not easy And trusting Jesus seems to be contrary to reason, even when it seems to be contrary to our reason. We have to remain grounded in the biblical revelation, and we have to look to him by faith, even in the middle of those difficult situations, even in the unmet expectations, even with the limited perception. Jesus is always worthy of our trust. Telling others about him is not going to be easy. But it's a worthy calling, giving our lives to. If, if, you know, we, we fight doubt in this world and we fight fear of this world with faith in the promised Messiah. Just like those in Jesus' day, just like those in the Old Testament days were looking to the Messiah, we look back to the Messiah and even to the coming, the second coming of the Messiah. We, we are to have faith in Jesus. So when we face situations that cause our faith to falter, ask yourself, where did that doubt come from? Has God ever failed me in the past? I guarantee you, when you look back over your life, you're not going to find a place where God ever failed you. He may not have answered the way you thought he should have answered, but he didn't fail you. Didn't the Lord promise to meet all my needs? Did he give me the Holy Spirit to enable me to believe him and to do whatever he requires of me? The question we need to ask is, is there anything too difficult for our God? And the answer is no. And so the only conclusion then is to trust God. That's what he's saying to John. John, you've seen the evidence. John, you've heard the, the, the testimony of the prophets. You've seen that I've met that. Now, John, trust. Trust me in the middle of all you're going through. John had a huge weight on his shoulder. He's there in prison. He's carrying that weight, and he's wondering, did I get this thing right? Did I understand Jesus correctly? And Jesus says, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. And that's what he says to us tonight. If you'll trust in me, I've got you covered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage that John reveals for us in his own questioning some of our own questions. Lord, do you care? Lord, do you know what I'm going through? Lord, do you know the struggles that I'm having? Lord, can I believe what you said in your word? That you will work all things 
to good for those who love the Lord, for those who are the called according to your purpose. Can I believe that? Can I trust that? And Lord, I pray that as we begin to have those questions, which are natural for us to have, there's nothing wrong with that. Lord, I pray that we would not stay there and allow the devil to continue to lead us through those doubts away from you. But that those doubts would would drive us deeper into your word. That those doubts and those questions would drive us to our knees in prayer. Lord, I need you more than ever. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why you brought this into my life or, or why you've allowed this to happen. Lord, I don't know. But I know you do because you've told me in your word that you do. That's the biblical revelation. Father, I pray that you will help us to trust in your word, in that biblical revelation when we're going through those difficult times. And Father, I pray that we would joyfully surrender and that we would trust in Jesus. Trust in you for all that you have for us. Knowing, Lord, that your will is to bring about good into us and bring about glory to your name. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing, even when we don't always understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand and as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 311, let Jesus come into your heart. Will you come this evening? If you're there online, would you just comment and let us know about your decision tonight, and we'll follow up with you. Brother Mike, if you'll come. As we sing. Thank you.